You know, last week, <clears throat> sort of catch up all on, on up to pace here, okay? We talked about commitment. We talked about Easter is so awesome because, you know, you can't even find an empty seat in the room on Easter, you know? And it's so super and excellent. Everybody gets fired up it's like because he's alive, you know? We're walking around all week. He's alive. He's alive. He's risen. You know, he's risen indeed. And we're shouting this back and forth. And the rest of the year, we're like, man, I'm awake. That's about it. You know, it isn't like he's alive. It's like, I'm awake and I'm here. You know, it's cold outside. But we talk about why is that? What, why, why is there that, like, we call it a backsliding, okay? We use that old biblical term, that old church term that I grew up with, okay? Why is there that, that sort of that lack of the rest of the year? And what, what brings that about? So we talked about what does it mean to be a Christian then? What does it mean to be a Christian? Let's define Christianity because I'm going to tell you right now, if you went across a poll across America and said, how many in America are claimed to be Christians? And you're going to see a large percentage of people are Christians, but yet it seems like we're losing the spiritual battle in this world. As many people claim to be Christians, why isn't there a greater spiritual impact in this world today? So what I'm thinking is a lot of people call themselves Christians, but they have no idea what that means. They define Christianity as somebody that, you know, yeah, I do the church thing, sort of religious. But there's so much more to that, as you heard Jamie say, you know, what does it really mean to be a Christian? So last week we talked about the first thing is to be a Christian. We, I use the phrase, just because you wear the jersey doesn't mean you're on a team. There's more to that. So we said, yeah, we've put on the jersey and call ourselves Christians, but there's more to it than that. So we talked about commitment and keeping our commitments. And I had a young man, Ian, come up here. And I had him choose between three boxes. And uh, he had to choose which box he wanted. And then we all tried to talk him out of it. Then I even tried to give him money to choose a different box. And he ended up choosing, I believe it was box number, nope, not number two. It was box number three. And when he opened up box, I'm sorry, box number two, when he opened up box number two, inside, Ian, what was inside box number two? Come on up here. So you open a box number two, and the inside was what? An empty water bottle with a little bit of water. You didn't, that was, you didn't even dump that out. You just left it as is. And what did I tell you last week? Make a commitment. So I said you've got to keep what's ever in here. You made a commitment to keep it. And if you kept your commitment, I would bless you, right? Because I really believe that when we keep our commitments to God and we live for Him, He blesses us. So we wanted to sort of demonstrate how God works. So we said the, the best box was, do you remember which one was the best one? Which one was it? With the first one? Okay. And we said whatever is in box number one was, was going to be your blessing. That if you kept your commitment, you kept your commitment. So hold out your hands. You know what? You might just want to take the box because for those of you who weren't here, that, there's an FCA magazine. That's a true blessing. Something like there's a T-shirt that says All In, so that's going to be your mom or dad, okay? But then there was a VeggieTales video for Easter. There's a CD with some awesome Christian songs on there. And then a whole bunch of mints. So this was a better box, better than an empty water bottle, right? Thank you for keeping your commitment, Ian. Nice job. You get, no, you get to keep the dollar. You get to keep the dollar. That's a double blessing. Absolutely. Well, here's the thing. So we talked about keeping our commitments, right? And we said, why would we not want to keep our commitments? In 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and I'll just read this to you, okay? It says, my dear children, I'm writing this, John's writing this, 
to us so that we won't sin, because we don't want to mess up, right? But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have one who stands between us and God and makes things right. Our advocate is before the Father. He is who? Jesus Christ, the one who's truly righteous. He goes on to say he is the sacrifice. He is the big biblical word, propitiation, right? He's the sacrifice that atones our sins, and not only for our sins, but the sins of the world. Jesus Christ died for us. He stands between us and God and makes things right. We talked about that at Easter and said, wow, you see what God does for us? Because God does that for us, how can we not be excited and wanting to live for him? How can we not show our appreciation to him and say, you've done this for me? I want to live for you. We should be grateful. So we said, let's make a commitment, right? So our commitment, and we'll talk about this over the next few weeks, is first of all means this. We use his equipment. If you're going to be on this team, if you're going to be a part of God's family as a Christian, one of the first things we do after we surrender and give our life to him, we pick up his equipment and we use his equipment, which we'll talk about today. And then we go to practice. We show up and we're a part of that, which means we're giving. And we'll talk more about that another time. It means we get dressed in, the, uh, in his locker room and we show up for team meetings, which means we gather as a church for as a family to worship. And we wear his colors. We wear his uniform, which means we're witnessing and we're sharing Jesus with others. There's a lot that goes into defining Christianity, but we're going to take one at a time. And we start with the tools, the equipment that God's given us, because we cannot move forward in our commitment to Jesus Christ without his equipment, with his tools. The first equipment he gives us is his Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about that another time. Okay? But that's the biggest piece he gives us, his very own spirit. And then he puts into our hands a piece of equipment that we should not let go. And that's his word, his holy word. I think about this, if I was to show up at a football practice and I didn't have my mouthpiece, I would not be allowed to play. That's just the way it is. I'm sorry, no mouthpiece, no play. But coach, I'll be okay. Sorry, it's a rule. No mouthpiece, no play. It is so hard to live for Jesus Christ without his word. No word, no play. It's so hard. And I think about this. Can you imagine if, I, you know, my brothers were all in marching, had played an instrument, a trumpet, tuba. I tried the tuba. Didn't work out so much for me, okay? But I think about this. If they're in a the marching band and they get out there with, Without their instrument, they, everybody else got their instrument. They're all marching around, and they're, well, act like you're carrying a tuba, right? So I'm trying to think how oh, they carry that. It's big and bulky, right? Could you see them just sort of walking around with nothing? I mean, they look sort of funny marching, right, without it? And people say, you don't have your instrument. You don't have your equipment. What are you doing? But what if you did have your instrument, but you didn't have the mouthpiece that goes to the front of the tuba or the trumpet, right? Well, you just like... Nobody knows that I'm not actually blowing into this right now, even though I'm missing my mouthpiece, but I'll just take it. You know, you walk around with the, with the instrument this time, but not your mouth. But you know what? There's nothing coming out. But that's like a lot of Christians. We fake it. We carry around our Bible, but we're never opening it up and putting it up to our face, right? We've got to learn to have the equipment and to use the equipment properly. So as you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119, we want to understand this about our number one piece of equipment, God's Word, is this. It is our map. It is our guide in life. Look with me in verse 19 of Psalm 119. It says this, I am only a foreigner in the land. Don't hide your commands from me. I'm a foreigner in the land. Now, 
kids, you've got the whiteboard. So here's the thing. I, I, you can work on this, you know, as you're listening. And, but if you want, like, make a map to somewhere. It could be like a map at Cedar Point. It can make a map to your house. It can be a map somewhere. But as you make a map, have a starting place, have an ending place, and have all these different things that you could go off the route and go do something else. Like if you're going to your house, but, oh, I want to pull over at Dairy Queen and get some ice cream, or I'm going to stop at Walmart here, and I'm going to stop there. There's all these places that could detour you away from where you're going. Just draw one of those for fun, okay? And show me after church. I want to, I want to see them, okay? For the rest of us, I want you to envision that yourself, okay? If I'm going to Disney, I'm going to Cedar Point somewhere, and here's the thing. I walk into that park. It's huge. I only have so many hours in the day. So here's the thing. What do I want to do because I can't do it all? Where do I really want to go and visit when I get there? Hmm, I could ride this ride. I could see that attraction. I could play this game. So what do I do? I pull out the park map. And I figure out, at least this is me. Some, some of you, you're just like, fly by the seat of your pants. We don't care. We're here. We're having fun. I don't operate that way. I'm like, man, I want to make sure I get in the things that we want to do. And everything else is a bonus, right? So I look at the map and I say, I want to go here. I want to go there. And I grab my park map to make sure I hit all those places. As we travel through life, we need a map to guide us, to make sure we're getting to where we need to be. There's so many detours in life, I'm telling you, right? It's like, well, that's a good thing, that's a good thing, but is that what God wants us at? Is this what I should be doing? So we pick up our Bible like a road map, pointing out the safe routes and obstacles to avoid. And you look at verse, uh, let's back it up, verses 9 through 11 of Psalm 119. It says this, how can a young person stay pure? Oh, by not sitting next to each other. Well, that doesn't say it, does it? How can a young person stay pure? Don't date. No, I didn't say it. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, I know there are things I shouldn't do in my life. There are things that are no-no. There are, there are places in life I should not go. But how do I learn that? So many young people and even us older adults get wrapped up in the things we know we should not do. And there's some things we've, we test and we try and we discover, I should have never done that because now I'm wrapped up and I can't break free and I'm addicted to this or I'm, I'm just, I've got this bad habit and it's like, how could we have avoided that? Had we maybe picked up the road map and saw that's a direction I don't want to go. God does not want me to go that direction. Maybe that would have helped. Had I taken God's word and hit it in my heart that I wouldn't sin against him, that would have really helped. And we struggle with these things, right? So as we travel through life, the Bible's sort of like our road map. It's pointing out safe zones and it's pointing out obstacles to avoid. And it says, this is the destination you're going and we need to realize, church, that we are just visitors on this planet. This is not our home. Although we try to take our homes and make it a home beyond homes, this isn't our home. And as we travel through this life on this earth, we have to understand that there are routes to take to help us make it as we move forward towards our final destination, which is heaven. We just can't wing it. So we pick up God's word to help us make it through life. Look at verse 12. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you've given us. I rejoice in your laws as much as in the riches. 
I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Fast forward into Psalm, uh, same Psalm we're in 119, but go to verses 33. Let me read this. Teach me, oh, let's, let me repeat that. Teach me your decrees, O Lord. I'll keep them to the end. Give me understanding and I will obey your instructions. I'll put them into practice with all my heart. I was just sitting there thinking as Jamie was sharing on that video. It's like, you know, we want to be obedient to God. And he was like showing us something. And I look at this verse and say, give me understanding and I'll obey your instructions. It's so hard to do the instructions unless somebody's giving you the directions, right? But then you got to listen and give understanding to what you're supposed to do. And then you put them into practice, right? Verse 35. Make me walk along the path of your commands, for that's where my happiness is found. Give me an eagerness for your law rather than a love for money. Turn my eyes from worthless things. Give me life through your word. Reassure me of your promise made to those who fear you. Help me abandon my shameful ways, for your regulations are good. I long to obey your commandments. Renew my life with your goodness. You know, some of us can't wait for spring break, right? And some of us can't wait for winter break. And some of us can't wait for summer break. <clears throat> Hashtag students, right? You know what I'm talking about? Why is it that our students are so excited about long weekends and breaks? Because they don't have to go to where? School. Yeah. What's so wrong with school? Don't go there, right? Why is learning that bad? Think about this. The psalmist that wrote this understands this, that we must be taught. We must be taught truth in order to be righteous. Becoming righteous just isn't like a thing that happens overnight. We have to learn it. We have to be taught it in order to make the right decisions. You look at verse 34, the psalmist says this, Give me understanding. And I'll obey your instructions. Think about this. Understanding has to come before obedience. I can't just go out and obey God unless I understand what he wants me to do. And I don't understand what he wants me to do unless I do what? Read it. Learn it. I can't be obedient until I pick up God's word, his piece of equipment, and start reading it. And the psalmist understands the lures of this world. He knows the temptations we face. He understands that for mankind, it's easy to chase after other things, right? Whether it be money, power, whatever it may be. It's sort of like this. When I go to Cedar Point, and it's been a while since I've been there, but we used to go all the time. And here's the thing. You get to Cedar Point, and you think about, what am I going to do? Which roller coaster am I going to ride? Right? So again, I can pull out the map and figure it out, but the problem is, as I'm walking towards that roller coaster, I see one of my favorite games. It's that game that has the inner tube, or I'm sorry, the, the tire tube, tire just hanging there. And then you can take a football and you can throw it to the tire. And you can win this big stuffed animal. Well, here's the thing. As a father, growing up with three boys, I've learned not to be a great quarterback, but how to put the ball into the, their hands so it doesn't hit their nose. You know what I'm saying? We have enough injuries in the stump family. We don't need more, right? Okay? So figure out how can I get that ball right there. So here's the thing. It's not that I'm a great quarterback. I've just learned how to put obstacle or whatever, equipment piece A, the football, into the tire B, okay? A to B is really simple for me, okay? At least it used to be, okay? 
Now, rotator cuff, I don't know. But anyway, so here's the deal. So I go play the game. And what do I win? Big stuffed animal. I mean, it's Spider-Man the size of me. It's like I get to carry on this big stuffed animal, right? Sometimes it isn't big enough, you know. And you look at all the other prizes. I want one of those bigger teddy bears, right? You ever seen people walk around Cedar Point like they're carrying this big stuffed animal? And it's like, wow, lucky them, right? That's what we think. But where was I going in the first place? The roller coaster, right? Ah, I'm carrying my big stuffed animal, and I get to the roller coaster. Like, I'm sorry, you can't get on the ride with that. But, but, I'm sorry, you can't get on the ride with that. See, where I wanted to go when I got there, I can no longer go there because the game distracted me and pulled me away, and I got something else. I sure did. I've got a big, worthless piece of stuffed animal now. Okay, now what am I going to do with that? I don't know. I get to walk around and brag about how good I am, right? That didn't last very long because, you know, two years later, it goes into a garage sale, right? Or because it got beat up so much by the kids, it's going in the trash, right? And I never got to ride the ride because I got pulled away. Again, the psalmist says what? Make me walk on the paths of your command. Because that's where happiness is found. He says, turn my eyes from worthless things. Give me life through your word. Verse 37, read that again. Turn my eyes from worthless things. Give me life through your word. Oh, that's a great stuffed animal. That's a fun game. But I'm going to the roller coaster. Oh, this looks like a very pleasurable moment, but I'm going to the cross. Man, I'm trying to live for Jesus, but I get lured and pulled away so quickly. And I come back to God's word. Turn my eyes from worthless things, God. Give me life through your word. See, outside of God's spirit, our number one piece of equipment is God's word. Are we picking it up and using it? It's one thing to pick it up. It's one thing to carry it, right? But like that sousaphone, that tuba player who's carrying the tuba without the mouthpiece, it doesn't matter if you carry it around. you got to put it up to your mouth. you got to put the mouthpiece up against your lips. And then you have to blow through it to make some kind of sound. doesn't matter if I'm carrying this. I've got to open it. I've got to read it. I've got to study it. Then when we start reading God's Word, it's incredible what we learn. See, our equipment piece points us to who? To God. You want to know what God's like? Open up the Bible. From beginning to end, God's the subject of the Scripture. God in heaven wants us to know certain things about Him. So He uses Scripture to reveal to us who God is. See, I just saw a movie recently, and in the movie, there's this psychotic evil man, okay? All the movies have him, right? And he was proclaiming, because he wanted to be all-powerful, right? He's proclaiming. He actually said this in the movie. He goes, God cannot be all-powerful. And God cannot be good at the same time. He's either one or the other, but he cannot be both. As I'm sitting here hearing him say that, have you ever in a movie wanted to stand up and say, oh, that's not true, right? You ever, like, somebody's about ready to walk into a room and you know what's in there, the the big bad monster, like, don't go in there. You just want to say it, right? But we just sit there like, and just watch what happens. I was so provoked. I was so wanted to stand up and say, you're wrong. God is all powerful and he is all good. But then I sat there and thought about this as I sat there not saying anything. How many kids were in that movie theater? Can I just tell you something? The lures of this world, the entertainment and different things, messages of deception are out there all the time. And it's being thrown out and our kids hear it. And it's like, oh, that's not a big deal. It's just a movie. But you know, they hear it, they hear it, they hear it. And then somewhere along the lines, it sort of regurgitates and comes back out. Yeah, God can't be all powerful and he can't be good at the same time. I can't remember where I heard that, but that might have been in the Bible somewhere, right? 
I heard it somewhere. We sit to think that's silly. That's true. That's what happens. And it sort of frustrates me because those are the kind of things, it's seeds of deception that get planted into the hearts of our children and even ourselves that once it gets in there and gets planted, guess what? It takes root and it grows and sin becomes of it. So we have to be aware of that. Open up the Bible. Read that God is unchanging. Read that God is love. Read that God is amazing and indescribable. Read that God is, doesn't lie and that he disciplines, that he forgives, that he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, that he's good and he's just. The only way for me to know that is to open it and see who God is. Because God is described in the Bible, we're left with no room to formulate our own opinion. Well, I think God is... Okay, stop. If you ever started... And you please help me. Hold me accountable to this, please. If you ever hear me say, well, I think God... Just say, hey, whoa, whoa. You think or he is? Because a lot of times we say, well, I think God... So are you formulating your opinion about God? Or are you truly telling me who God is because you found that truth in his word? Because what happens today, a lot on social media, is you hear a lot of people describe who they believe God is. The problem is they're formulating their own opinion, not based on truth. So we open up truth, and we don't worry about our opinions of God anymore because they're not opinions anymore. We are stating truth about God. But that doesn't happen unless we open up God's Word. And we open up God's Word, then He teaches us about the world we live in, too. God gave us the Bible so we can understand the world we live in because it's like a, a grand narrative from the beginning, from where we came from, our purpose in life, the principles that we can live by. Here's the thing. If we don't understand how something works, what do we do? We go to the owner's manual, right? So on my, wa- on my arm here, I, I wear a simple Walmart watch. It's about 987 or something like that, Okay. I have, I have a few other watches that are a little bit nicer, but the problem is they, they only last so long the battery goes dead, and then it costs more money to put a new battery in than it does for me to go buy a Walmart watch, okay? So I buy the cheap watches. I like them, okay? They've got timers on them. They've got lights on them, okay? And, and you know, after three, four years of getting beat up and smelly and whatever, I'll just go buy another one for nine bucks, okay? And I'm okay with that. But here's the problem. Whenever I get that watch, oh, there's, which one do I push to set it? And wait, which... Oh, no, not that one. Um, the date, why does it say Tuesday, December 3rd? Well, because I never figured out how to set it, right? I tried, but here's how I figured it all out. I go back to the original package, and there's a little piece of paper, and you unfold it, and it tells me how to set it. Oh, so I go back to the manual, right? In our lives, Things get really crazy, right? We're like, I don't know how to figure this out. Let me help you, okay? Go to the owner's manual. Why am I struggling with this, God? Well, let's turn to the book of John and figure that one out. God, you know, this has really been hard for me to figure out in life why this goes on in my life. Over and I keep having problem after problem. You know, let's go back to Genesis. There's a story in there about a man who went through a lot of things. We go back to the owner's manual. God's Word enables us to know more about Him. Matter of fact, God's Word uh, allows us to live godly lives. Dan's going to throw two scriptures up on the screen. The first one is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. The other one is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Let me read those to you. Paul said in 2 Timothy, All scripture is God-breathed. We talked about this probably a few months ago, okay? God, When God spoke into life, into Adam and created life, He breathed in and gave Adam life. 
And then we fast forward the second time this word's ever used is in 2 Timothy. Paul uses that word for God-breathing. And he says, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's like whenever we open up the Bible and start reading, God breathes life into us. And that life, he says, goes on to say, it helps us for profitable, for teaching, for reproof, for discipline, for correction, for training in righteousness. You want to learn how to be right with God? You want to get trained up to be right with God? Let God breathe into you. I'm not going to ask you to do this, but how many of you, you're like, you're serious about fitness, you're serious about your kids learning, and you bought all these how to swing a bat and hit the ball, and you've, you've bought in tapes, you've Googled, you've YouTubed all these videos on how to train to be better, right, in all these different areas of life. You want to learn how to train to be righteous? Don't Google it, okay? God word it. Just open it up. Because His Scripture, His Word, trains us in righteousness so that we can be what? It says this, so we may be completed, equipped for good work. You want to be fully equipped? You want to be complete and whole? Open up God's Word, His Scripture. Hebrews 4.12 goes on to say this, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the vision of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's Word just digs and opens you up and says, this is what's going to go on in your life. And sometimes when you're reading God's word, you're like, wow. It's like, it's really like what Jamie says, like, God just vividly spoke to him in a dream and said, this is what you're supposed to do. It's like, how did he know? And that lady was like, how did you know that I needed this today? God knew and God speaks and God directs, but you can't be obedient if you're not in his word learning that direction. The Bible penetrates our core and exposes who we really are. And it's not, here's the thing, it's not about finding something that backs up our lifestyle or our thinking. Boy, I could really use a verse that helps me talk to that person about what I really want to talk to them about. I really want to tell them something. See, God, where's some good words here that will help me tell them what to do? Oh, here it is. And Judas? No, that way. Okay, let's see here. Um... We don't open up the Bible to refute people to help us with our opinion and stance. That's not what it's there for. As we go through and we keep grabbing God's Word and say, well, what else is this for? What else is this for? And I was thinking about this, that when you open up the Bible, many of us are very familiar with John three sixteen, right? For God so what? Loved the world. And we forget that God's words is like a love letter. He wants to communicate to us. Writing is sort of a lost art, isn't it? We're so much better at using the computer and texting and social media. But writing the letter is like a lost art. Back uh, a few months ago, our family gathered to celebrate one year of passing my dad and and my sister-in-law's miraculous healing uh, from her surgery with her brain tumor. And we just got together and celebrated. And we shared stories. And my mom had my brother read a letter that my dad wrote back in 1950. It might have been 49. It was right before they were married. He'd gone off to California for a few weeks and to be with his cousins and, and brothers. And he wrote a letter back to my mom. It was a love letter. And she kept it. And she had my brother read it to a whole family. And it was so cool to hear like my dad's voice, like, 
66 years ago, this letter from this young man who was in love with his bride. And as you wrote, and, you, and we're listening to reading it, it's like, wow. And it wasn't really gushy. I think he even had a couple of corny jokes in there, which made us sort of laugh. And, but as we listened to it, I thought about it. It's like, do we do that anymore with those we love? Do we, do we write those letters? Could we pull out a letter from umpteen years ago? Or, oh, let me pull out my text message from 40 years ago that Jenny sent to me. And I don't, we don't do that, do we? It's a love letter that's been written to you. The God of this world wants to communicate with you and I. Open it up and see what he has to say to you. See what he wants to communicate with you. And as you read, you, you read about all these different things, but you also read that he says this, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is exalted above all things. I want you to know that, yes, I love you, and I want you to know how to make the right choices in life and get to where you need to go and not be lured away. And I, and I want you to know about how God's Word just breathes into you and gives you hope and joy. But here's the other thing. I want you to know that I love you so much I sent my son Jesus Christ to die for you. And he is exalted above all other names. That the name of Jesus Christ, what every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God says, I love you so much. I want you to know about my son. I want him to be exalted. And once you figure that out, guess what? I want you to know what your mission is. Each and every one of us in this room has purpose and mission. You are here for a reason. God's brought you here for a reason. If this wasn't an orchestra this morning, there'd be a beautiful sound, a symphony that would be playing. And here's the deal. Each and every one of us would have an instrument. Each and every one of us. Some of you are like, no, I couldn't do it, right? I see some faces now like, uh-uh, uh-huh. God's equipped you to be part of something beautiful. The problem is a lot of us don't believe it, or we put down our instrument thinking, I can't use this for God. Or we lack the confidence to stand up and grab that instrument that God's given us to blow into it or to, to hit it or strike it, whatever, to make beautiful music for Him. You understand what I'm saying, church? You have a purpose. You have a mission. You have a gift that God's given you. And we learned about that in His Word. We discover that we are ambassadors for Christ. And He makes His appeal to the world through us. What the Fogarty's do with a basket, you might sit there and think it's some, so simple, right? But the incredible thing is, without their obedience to that simple thing, they are not going to be God's ambassadors. But because they chose to use, do what they said and being obedient to God and using those baskets, guess what? God is moving through them and what they're doing with that. And lives are being impacted. Each of us have that. I want you to take a minute and think through why God gave us the Bible. And all that's been said so far. But let me ask you this. How should these things affect the way we study the Bible? How should all the things that we've talked about affect our reaction and walking out of here with God's word? How committed are we to his equipment? Ultimately, when we read the Bible, we are approaching the very mind of God. And every time you open the Bible, you ought to prepare yourself, and I ought to prepare myself to meet the creator of the universe as he comes to us and says, I want you to hear me say this. And we walk away as we close the Bible saying, God spoke today in his word to me. And it should go without saying that we approach God with humility. Reading our Bible with humility means that here's the deal. I'm assuming the role of a student today. 
I'm not going to God's Word to find something to throw at somebody else. I'm not going to God's Word to say, God, you're wrong. I'm going to God's Word to be a student today for Him to teach me and to change me. It's a very humble role, but that is our role. As we approach the Bible with humility, we lay aside our agendas. God, what do you want me to know? Every time we find ourselves disagreeing with God, here's the thing that's probably happening. God's probably trying to get our attention to say something. When you, let's do this. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Worship team, would you please come forward as we're all in Deuteronomy 30? You can sort of imagine here, Moses, this is sort of Moses' farewell address. He's like, okay, guys, I'm out of here, but before I go, I want you all to hear something. And the amazing thing is something that he says is very similar to something that Joshua says later in life. But I want you to imagine all the people gathered. Moses is standing before them, and God has talked to Moses, said, Moses, tell the people this. And so you can imagine as God speaks to him, and here's what we hear in verse 11. This command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand. It's not beyond your reach. Church, listen to me very carefully. Today as I'm coming to you, I want to just encourage you to pick up God's equipment, his Bible, to open it and read it. That's not too difficult, right? It wasn't like, man, that was such a deep sermon today. I was so lost when he was using these big biblical words. It was a very simple sermon today. This command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand. It's not beyond your reach. Listen to this. It's not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask, who's going to go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey it? We don't have to do that today, do we? Boy, I wish God would just come down and talk to us. Well, who's going to go up there and talk to him and give a message? And Moses is saying, listen, this message, nobody has to go running after it. Verse 13, it's not kept beyond the sea. Well, so far away that you have to ask, who's going to cross the sea to bring it to us so we can hear it and obey it? No, no, no. The message is very close at hand. It's on your lips. It's in your heart so you can obey it. Now listen, verse 15, now listen. Today I'm giving you a choice between life and death. Church, could you imagine if I stood up here and say, hey, church, I'm giving you a decision here. Life or death, which one do you want? Now don't answer yet. I'm giving you a choice today, life or death. I think all of us in this room would say, life? Yeah. I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. Gee, which one do I want, prosperity or disaster? For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and keep his commands, his decrees, his regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and land that you're about to enter and occupy. Church, you want prosperity or disaster? Do you want life or death? You want life? You want prosperity? then follow his ways. You can't follow his ways though if you don't know the way. So you open up the word. But if your heart turns away and refuses to listen, if you're drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you'll certainly be destroyed. You'll not live a long, good life in the land you're crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today, I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so your descendants might live. You can make this choice. Listen, you can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is the key to life. 
And if you love and obey the Lord, you'll bring in the land the Lord swore to give your fathers and ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Key to life. Life, death, prosperity is asked. Which one you want? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Follow Him. Obey Him. And the only way to follow Him and obey Him, can I use yours? There's a starting point and there's a destination. And the only way you're going to be able to follow Him is to get on that path and say, God, which step do I take? And you open up His Word and He directs your path as you go. Excellent job. Real good. Our commitment church. You want to know what Christianity is all about? Here's the first thing is that we make a commitment to him. We confess with our mouths and our believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's where it starts. We take that humble knee bow and say, you're Lord, I'm not. And then we say, I'm committed to your word. Church, I want to encourage you. That's where we start today. Make a commitment to his word. You hear me say this a lot. Didn't we preach about this? Yeah, you're going to keep hearing me preach about it because I believe a church that doesn't preach about God's word is a dying church. We will not be a dying church. We'll be a church that is alive. We will crack open God's word. We'll say, let's be committed to reading it, studying it, encouraging each other with it. Amen? Would you please stand? Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God. We thank you, Lord, that we can worship you in song and truth. We thank you for your word that it gives us life. It gives us direction. It gives us hope. It gives us truth. In a world that is desperate for truth, we need truth. In a world that is desperate to hear about love, you give us love. And we discover all this when you breathe into us as we read your word. God, today, if there's somebody in this room that says, man, I thought I was a Christian already, I guess I I don't know if I am. God, today's an awesome day to say, let's start from the very beginning. Let's admit that we're sinners. You love us, you want a relationship with us, but we sin, we mess up. And so we need forgiveness. So God, we admit we are sinners. We pray that to you right now. God, forgive us. And we ask for forgiveness and you are faithful and you do forgive us. And you cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all those bad things. So you save us. We thank you, God. Thank you for saving us. We believe that. We trust in that. But God, it's more than that. We want you also to be the Lord of our life. So God, there's only one way you can really be the Lord of our life and that's for us to really follow you and obey you. So God, today as we sing this song, speak to us, Lord. Tell us how we can get more into your word. And whether it's a reading plan, whether it's holding each other accountable, we look at the person to our right or left and say, hey, you know what? I want to I dig into God's word more. Tell them. We can make that commitment to you. Then we need somebody to hold us accountable. And let's share that with one another, how we're going to be a little more committed, maybe a lot more committed to reading your word, to discovering truth. God, as we sing to you now, continue to speak to us, Lord. In thy name we pray.